You're listening to the Glad Tidings Church podcast, available on Podbean and iTunes. We're continuing our series on the aftermath, based on the message that Peter gave to those assembled after the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. And he began to preach, and he preached to them the gospel, and he presented to them the fact that Jesus was now alive, and This Jesus that they crucified is now Lord in Christ. And they asked the question, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do now that this Jesus is alive? This is the question for all of us. This is the question for the world. What will we do with Jesus? Our text today comes from two different places. If you can put that on the screen, we'd appreciate that so much. Today, if you want to take your Bibles and look with me, we're first of all, we're going to start in the gospel of of the, uh, well, we started with Acts, but we're going to start in Luke 24, but let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and we're going to see what Luke actually said about this Jesus. Let's see what Luke has to say. In my former book, what is Luke's former book? Somebody? Luke's former book is Luke. Turn your name and say Luke's former book is Luke. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. So he's saying this is the sequel. In my former book, Theophilus. We could go into a discussion about who Theophilus is. We won't do that necessarily now. But he said, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. The King James uses the term infallible proofs. Convincing proofs, infallible proofs that he's alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. One passage even indicates that as many as 500 people saw the risen Jesus. Let's go to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 45. Luke 24 verses 36 through 45. Here's what the Bible says. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. Now, the disciples are meeting together and they're talking about all that has happened and in the midst of the disciples meeting after after Jesus had died and they'd heard the possibility of the resurrection, Jesus came in there. He stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me. Say that with me. Touch me. And see, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. In other words, this is not an apparition. And I am not a zombie. I have flesh and bones. I am talking to you as you see that I have. 
And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet where they had been pierced. And while they still did not believe it, they were probably overcome with amazement, as the Bible says, because of joy and amazement. He asked them, he felt like they needed some more proof. Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He went right to the sanitary and got some. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. I mean, you know, an apparition can't eat. A ghost can't eat. He's got hands and feet and he speaks and he has cognitive ability and he's able to digest food. And so this is not some, some kind of imagination here. Jesus is real. And he took it and ate it in their presence and he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything that's got to be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then verse 45, we're going to conclude with this verse you got to get this today. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scripture. Opening their minds. This is a work done by the Spirit. Only Jesus can open your mind. And so today, I want to actually help us in terms of understanding the resurrection of Jesus Christ in terms of infallible proof and convincing proof. And I think it's important that we, as God's people, know what it is that we believe. And so let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the people of God. Thank you for this wonderful congregation and the people here with, with such giving hearts and caring attitudes, Lord. And I pray that you'd bless them, bless their families, bless their children, meet their needs today. And we thank you for the word that you are bringing to us in this 21st century. We thank you in Jesus' name and the people of God who love the Lord said amen. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord today. With increasing vigor, the biblical claims of Jesus and especially his resurrection, have been viciously attacked as a sham. Now, we come to church every Sunday, and we hear the gospel being preached. But we live in a world where it is increasingly unaware of the claims of Scripture and unaware of the truth of God's Word, and they do not have any encounter with the presence of an almighty God. But our text says convincing proof, infallible proof. I believe that it is important that we must be students of the word and we must be people who understand what the word says. Here's one thing that has been labeled or leveled against us as the church and especially people from Pentecostal backgrounds. You base your theology on how you feel and your experience. Well, I'm, I am not going to apologize for the fact that I can sense the presence of God and I know that he's alive. However, we are dealing with a world where people need to understand the truth. And I believe that the Bible is very clear and there are tremendous proofs 
that Jesus did rise from the dead. Now, I want to play a clip for you of a man by the name of Christopher Hitchens. How many of you ever heard of Mr. Hitchens? Mr. Hitchens is, was, he passed away uh, not too long ago, the writer for Vanity Fair. And I, he wrote a book about five years ago entitled, God is Not Great. And Mr. Hitchens, along with many others, have made it their goal to show the fallacy of Christianity. He actually talks about how the resurrection is basically a literal scheme, and it was something that is written somehow just to encourage the people. And he talks about resurrection as if the Bible writers think that it is commonplace. And so there's nothing unique about resurrection in the minds of these people, but it's very difficult to prove according to Mr. Hitchens. I want you to listen to a clip. This was made about four years ago that Mr. Hitchens made. Could you play that for us? Thank you, sir. Are we there? How about let's move on, all right? Now, let me just tell you what he said. He basically said that everybody has a resurrection story. He said that there were people that were raised from the dead and they were pretty much on the streets after the resurrection of Jesus. He said that there was Lazarus and he was raised from the dead. He said that there are other stories and history of resurrection, so to speak. And so different ones would actually come against the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead, saying that this was just a, a literal technique and that there are those who really can't prove it. In fact, Mr. Hitchens has some problems understanding the historical Jesus. I want to talk with us about this today because I think it's important for us to understand that there are infallible proofs. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, it says that you are to be prepared, say prepared, and you are to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. I think that that's a, a problem in the body of Christ. We don't know the word. We have an experience with Jesus, but I think it's important for us to have a biblical foundation so that it will support what we believe. And so we must be able to answer those who ask about the hope that is within us, people that need Jesus, people that need an answer. And there are times, as you are going to see in the future, you're not going to be able to call on Pastor Tim, and you may not have any literature with you. You have to know what the truth is, because the Bible says that you are an epistle known and read of all men. You've got to get in the Word. This is no longer a society in which we can just say, well, it happened to me uh, 20 years ago, and I know what they say at church, and I, I know what our pastor preaches, and I know what mama and daddy taught me. Listen, I don't believe that we need a second-hand experience. You need to have a first-hand knowledge of what God has done for you. And so, therefore, 
It's important for believers to understand the word. If not, we will not be ready to influence our culture. And if our culture is going to be transformed, it'll happen from the bottom up. Charles Coulson says it will happen over the neighborhood fence and around the barbecue grill. People who ask, and we need to know about the hope that lies within us. Let me give you some evidences today for the resurrection. And some of you may say, well, Pastor, this is probably a, a little different tact on a message something different than what you've done in the past. I want to give you some information today, and then I promise I'm going to bring it all home to you. But if you need to know why the resurrection is true, then I want to give you some things today that you can take home with you. I encourage you to do some reading. Josh McDowell has written a, tran a, a, a fantastic book called The Resurrection Factor. There, is, there are several other books that uh, individuals have written about the resurrection and how they came to the conclusion that the Bible is true. But I want to talk to you today, first of all, that if the resurrection is true, we know about it from the Word of God, and so we first of all have to say that we believe in the reality of the Bible. We believe in the reality of the Bible. Say that with me. We believe in the reality of the Bible. And so the Bible is our guide. We must understand the text of Scripture. And we also must say that this is the Word of God. This is not some collection uh, of of individual stories whereby some people just had a hope that maybe there was a God somewhere. We believe in the reality of the Bible. Some say, well, it's just a book. It's archaic. It's just full of errors. I start on the premise that it is a divine book. It is not a human book or a, a product of hopeful minds. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. These are verses that you should commit to memory. That the Bible is the inspired word of God and all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. In other words, this is not something that man made up. The men were moved upon, as it says later in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. They were moved upon by the Holy Spirit as they spoke and as they wrote. Jeremiah spoke about it in the Old Testament where he said God spoke in order for them to speak. Jesus, in his resurrected form, as he appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos, he said, I want you to write. God told Daniel to write the vision and to make it plain. We know that Jeremiah had a scribe and his name was Baruch, and he was able to transcribe and write these things. So I want to tell you right up front that I am going to stand on the, real, the, the reliability of the Bible, and it is not just a work of men. It is not just like the Iliad or the Odyssey. It's not just something that was dreamed up. This was not just a story. This is not just the basis for a movie. This was not just so Mel Gibson could make a lot of money at the box office. This was not so that somebody could write songs and somehow venture into the different areas and, and create a different genre. If we we don't believe the Bible as the Word of God, we might as well turn the lights off, quit, and go home because there's no hope on planet Earth. And so therefore, I believe, I must believe in the Bible. Now, I want to tell you why I believe in the Bible. Well, my daddy told me it was. 
My mama was a Sunday school teacher, I, and, and that's all we have. Here's some internal, say internal, and external evidences that the Bible is true. First of all, let's look at the internal evidence, what the Bible says about itself. We must understand that if it says something about itself, that it must be true. It has to be proven true in, in another place, in another area. Here's a miracle that you can understand. This is something very simple that you can understand in terms of answering a question about the Bible. The Bible was written by more than 40 people. Nevertheless, there is unity in this book. There, and also, it was written in different places. It was written in Sinai, in Egypt, in Jerusalem, and in Rome. It was written in different time periods, covering a period of over 2,500 years from Moses to John. Yet there is unity in the message. That, my brothers and sisters, is a miracle. No other book that has been written over that time period, that many different people, that many different places, how can it say the same thing and have the same message? It must be divine. And some people say, well, that is not so hard to believe. I can't get 40 people in this room to agree on where we're going to eat lunch today. When we come together and understand the miracle of the Word of God, the message is congruent. It's unified from, from the very beginning to the very end. The message is that God loves us and sent His Son to die for us. The message of the Old Testament confirms the message of the New Testament. And so we have internal evidence. The fact that the, the Old Testament prophesies that Jesus would be born of a virgin. It must happen later. Yes, in the New Testament, we believe in the virgin birth. Isaiah spoke about it. Micah talked about it. Clothes were divided at his crucifixion. That was prophesied in the book of Psalms. And there are over 300 different prophecies that were fulfilled in the New Testament that speak that about Jesus. Things that spoke about Jesus in the Old Testament, they were actually proven true in the New Testament. And so 300 different prophecies, even to the point where he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And he was resurrected. Isaiah chapter 53 when you look at that book in the Old Testament and understand that what Isaiah wrote years before, some 750 years before Jesus came on the scene, but yet he wrote about his resurrection and he said these words, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, it's talking about a man here. It's not talking about the sacrificial system. His life a guilt offering. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand and the suffering of his soul. He will see the life of life and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify how many of you are justified today will justify many and he will bear their iniquities I'm glad that that was fulfilled on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ where he took my sin he was my sacrificial offering and today I can say that that was fulfilled in the 
cross and I am proof that the sins that I had are forgiven because of what it said in the Old Testament, what is what is prophesied, what is brought to be true in the New Testament, and then we have the evidence of that. Now follow me, hold on with me, that's a little internal evidence. Now I could go a long time and then books have been written about internal evidence about scripture, but I just wanted to show you a few things. Malachi talks about his resurrection. He's risen with healing in his wings. We, let's go to external evidence. That has to do with history and archaeology on the outside confirming what's written in scripture. And so I just begin to think about some things and, and there's so many different things that I could share with you about this, but I, I want to just share a few things. First of all, uh, the, what history and archaeology show us. The Moabites and the Moabite stone, you know about this from history, was discovered in, by a German missionary in 1868 near the Dead Sea. The stone tells of the wars between the Moabites and the Israelites, and Second Kings tell us of the same wars. And so what I'm saying is simply this, that history and archaeology prove what is written in the Word of God. The fall of Jericho is actually verified by history and some excavations. John Garstang and Catherine Kenyon revealed the following from their excavations. They said this, the city was destroyed around 1400 B.C. This would agree with the destruction mentioned by Joshua. The walls fell. Compare this discovery with Joshua 6.20. The many treasures were still found in the city. Why is that? Why did they find many treasures in the city? What did God say to them? Don't take any of that. The first one's for me. Are you with me today? And so they didn't take all the spoils except one man by the name of who? Achan. And Achan took that, and so therefore they lost the next battle. So I want to tell you something today. Why do individuals not look at history and, and look at the archaeological findings and understand that there is really there is no conflict with true science, archaeology, and the Word of God? Are you with me today? I Are you with me today? All right. I know some of you are saying, well, I just... I wanted to get fired up this morning, and this is just not doing it for me. I'm telling listen, you got to understand some things today. Science shows us, we, we talk about the roundness of the earth. So many people talked about the flat earth. Do you understand that the Bible even talked about that? Years ago, the Bible spoke about this in the book of Psalm and Job 26 and 7. The Bible speaks about these things. Uh, I could go on and on. There are a lot of other biblical proofs from archaeology. The Elba tablets around 2300 B.C. confirmed the names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Hittites were thought to be a legend, but they, have under, but they found that some of the records of this group of people unearthed in Turkey. The 11th tab, uh, tablet of the Gilgamesh epic speaks of the flood. The Sumerian tablets confirm the, the fall of Babel and the confusion of the languages, the fall of Jerusalem. The, the, it speaks about Caiaphas, Joseph's tomb, all of these types of things. I could go on and on, but what I'm trying to tell you today is that the Bible is true not only because of internal evidence, but of external evidence. The scholar Brooke Westcott says this, raking all the evidence together, 
it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even the liberal scholar, Bart Ehrman, uh, he even said that it does not refute, that he does not refute the historical Jesus and his impact. Now, I wanna, I'm moving along with this now. I promise you it's going to bless you, but you've got to get these things in your mind. Internal evidence, external evidence, the reliability of the Bible. Now, I want to talk about the, the resurrection of Jesus in terms of eyewitness accounts. How many of you know that if you've seen something, you know it's true? Witnesses in court, they have to be eyewitnesses. And the Bible speaks of eyewitnesses. John talks about all that he has seen, all that he has heard. And in our text, it talks about infallible proofs. It talks about the disciples seeing Jesus. There is the angelic testimony. There is Cleopas and the other disciples. There are the disciples that when they were gathered together, we see this in our text today. There is Peter as he begins to talk about how Jesus appeared to him. And we talked about that last week, how Jesus restored him and how he was on the shore. One of the things that really speaks to me is the fact that Jesus' own family were very much against what he was doing in times past. But after the resurrection, we find that Jesus' brothers, especially the brother James, he becomes a leader in the early church. And so when I think of people who were once obstinate and had problems with it, now they come to faith. That speaks a lot to me. And so there are eyewitness accounts. I want you to understand that our faith is not founded on dreams or those who have some type of, of disorientation or they have a few visions, but it is based on on what they saw and what they heard and they believed and their testimony did not waver. Now if I've seen something, I know it's true. I have seen many things. I can tell you that the space shuttle's real. I've seen it. I've watched it on that launch pad. I, I can tell you that the the St. Louis, the Arch of St. Louis is real because uh, I've seen it. I can tell you about a lot of different places around the world. I can tell you that the, the Arc de Triomphe is real. I've been there. I've seen it in Paris. Uh, there are a lot of different things that we've seen and we can testify to because we've seen it with our own eyes. But when what happens is that it begins to change you. And these disciples were changed because of the resurrection. They were huddled together for fear, but now look at them. They are standing firm. They're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They will give their lives for this gospel. It is true. When I look at all of the disciples, Peter believed in it so much, he said, you can crucify me and crucify me upside down in 66 AD. Andrew, they, he began to preach and minister in modern-day Russia, but he was killed by cannibals. Thomas preached in India, but he was pierced with, sold, with spears from four different soldiers. Philip went to North Africa, but a wife of a Roman ruler in that area came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so as a result of that, the husband didn't like it, and so they killed him. I want you to understand that there was a promise, there was a price to be paid for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew went to Persia, 
which is modern-day Iraq. And he was stabbed. He lost his life. Bartholomew, he was martyred with Thomas. James went to Syria, and he was stoned. Simon went to Persia, and he refused to sacrifice to the sun god, so they killed him. Matthias, who was the one who, who replaced Judas, went to Syria, and he was burned. John escaped being burned, but they went on later to Patmos. And he was the only one, according to what we can understand, who did not die a natural death. And he talked about loving one another. Jude went to Persia, and he was crucified. I want to tell you something, that if you really believe what you believe, you will not back down. These men, their lives were changed. They were fishermen. They were huddled together for fear. They were in an upper room uh, later, and the Holy Spirit ministered to them. They were afraid even to be seen. Peter denied the Lord. They were afraid of the Roman authorities. But something happened when the resurrection power of Jesus Christ transformed their lives. I declare to you today that, yes, we need to understand the truth of the word. And, yes, it makes sense. But I want to also tell you that there is something that happens when that truth begins to hit you and you understand that it's real and it changes your life. How many in this room can say, I know Jesus is alive and my life is changed as a result of what he's done for me? All right, we're going to move on now. There is no one else who's made an impact on history like Jesus. If Jesus did not rise from the dead and his teaching made no impact and lives were not changed, we would have a different outcome in history. Let me tell you a few things. Women, you have been elevated by Jesus. Prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we understand that even Cicero likened women to dogs, horses, and donkeys. Husbands, don't ever call your wife a horse or a donkey. Don't ever do that. Jesus elevated women. He appeared. Now, I've never done that. I'm just going to tell you that right now, all right? Just appeared first to women. Paul, he, he spoke about a place of women in the early church. And he said to the men, he said, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so there was the elevation of women after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church began to blossom after the resurrection. Rome was impacted. And it said that even later there were societies that were changed as a result of the gospel message. Europe was saved out of barbarism because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has impacted civil government. No longer do, do tyrants rule everywhere. After coming to Christ, there were systems of government that were set up. Even in our own land, the Magna Carta, the Mayflower Compact, the believers were responsible for those documents. In education, monks preserved the literature of the ancient writings. The first universities were in English. England and the United States by believers. Do you get that today? The first universities were established by believers. Business. According to Adam Smith, it is the Protestant work ethic that has made nations great. In science, Galileo, 
uh, Copernicus, Pascal were people of faith. In music, Francis Schaeffer says that prior to Christ's death and his resurrection, most music was played in the minor key. Afterwards, the major chord music made it complete. Listen, I want you to understand that the name of Jesus is immortal. There was a man by the name of Kun Shi Hung who was the first emperor of China. He centralized the government. He built the wall, yet his name may not always be remembered. The wall is there, but no one can tell you his name. Great generals have had fame. Adolphus, the head of modern warfare. Alexander the Great, Attila the Hun, Charlemagne, Genghis Khan, Napoleon, Sherman, Rommel, all of these individuals, they made their marches throughout history. But I want to tell you that you might think about Sherman and his march to the south and how individuals marched through the desert. But I want to tell you today that my Jesus did something even greater. He marched into the lives of men and women and changed their lives. I want to get spiritual just for a moment here and say that he marched through hell and won my victory through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've got to understand that his name is immortal. His influence is immortal. His effect on the world lives and it cannot die. His presence and his power is immortal. His deeds, his deeds are, can be testified to. But I want you to understand that the things that he did we understand, but they didn't stop after his resurrection. Jesus continued to minister, and his, then the people of God continued to minister. I believe that he was not just a God who was, but he is a God who is, and he is a God who is to come. I want you to understand that we're not dealing with just an individual here. We're talking about the fact that he had to have power over nature. He had to have power over the elements. He had to have power over the sea. And Jesus is the one who has the power over the seas and says, Peace be still, because we understand that according to John chapter 1, he was there in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. John 1 says there was not anything made that was made without him being there. He is the God who was and is and is to come. But he is my strength today. I don't just talk about a historical Jesus. Jesus is still alive today. Lives are being changed today. Nations are being changed today. Hope is given today. Lands are being transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's happening today. He is still alive today. He was the great I am in the Old Testament. He was the great I am when Jesus walked on earth. He was the great I am on the day of Pentecost. He was the great I am when he ascended unto heaven. He is the great I am making intercession for me. And when I need strength today, he is the great I am. When I need an answer, he's the great I am. When I need provision, he's the great I am. When I don't know what to do, he's the great I am. When I need hope for the future, he's the great I am. He is not a God of the past. He's a God of today and a God of the future. Now he's transcendent, which means distant, and he is imminent, which is near. You know, the greatest thing that I, I love about the gospel is this. That in other religions, it's how 
you can try to work and get to God. I got to work. I got to do these things. You know, the real mark of a cult is what you've got to do and how much you got to crawl. And, and there are people who are in different countries and they'll get on their knees and they'll make pilgrimages on their knees and they'll crawl until their knees are bloody and they'll do everything that they can and they'll bow and they'll, they'll do so many different things. I want to tell you something. If you as a human being could get to God, there would have never been a need for the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. But you've got to understand the difference between Christianity and the message of the Word of God is not how you get to God. It's how God got to you and saved you through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. He's, trend, he's imminent. He comes near. Muslims believe in a vicious God. But I believe in a loving Jesus. The loving Jesus leaves the glory of heaven and he comes and dwells among men. He did appear to others. The Bible talks about all of these eyewitnesses and how he appeared to 500 different people and how he ascended into heaven. But I want to tell you, it goes deeper than that for me. I'll tell you two stories and then I'm going to wrap this up. The, the title of this message is Jesus with Skin. I'll tell you two stories. One time there was this little guy, and I think all of us as parents can testify to the fact that sometimes our children have been afraid at night. Everybody know what I'm talking about? How many times could you say, my sleep has been disturbed in the middle of the night because a child was afraid? Okay. One little guy, he was afraid and cried out. Mama went in there and he said, Mama, will you lay down with me? And she said, I will stay here for a few moments, but you, you've got to be a big boy. And there's nothing in the room. Check the closet, check under the bed. Mommy looked under the bed, checked the closet, nothing there. Everything's fine. Mommy, stay with me. I want you to stay with me. No, son, you're all right. Everything's fine. I've checked it. And so you be a big boy now. You're growing up, and you've got to be big. And this is your bed. Mommy, I want you to stay with me. You, this can be your bed. No, Mommy's bed is in, in the other bedroom with Daddy. And he says, well, I don't understand that. So she said, I'm going in here. Mommy sleeps in this room with Daddy. Now, you be quiet, and everything's fine. So he walks out of the room, and the little boy says, that big sissy. <laughs> he needed somebody with him. Needed somebody with him. Same thing happened with a little girl, and she's crying one night, and a mother comes in and says, what's the matter? She says, I'm scared, I'm afraid. And the mama says, well, I want to tell you something. You don't need to cry. Jesus is with you. So you just go to sleep. Jesus is with you. And she walks up, and the little girl said, Mama, I hear what you're saying, but I need a Jesus with some skin on. <laughs> a 
So what I want to tell you today is simply this. There are historical evidences. There, the word is very plain. There are internal and external evidences. And there are eyewitness testimonies. And there's the impact on history. But I want you to understand that we have a God who says, touch me. He goes into that room and he's alive and he appears to his disciples. And he says, feel this place in my side. Touch me in my hands. Touch my feet. He takes a piece of fish and he begins to eat it. And he says, I'm alive and feel this place. In fact, the Greek word actually has the the meaning of handle me understand that I'm real I'm alive and in a spiritual sense a sense that the Lord is speaking to us today and he's saying touch me hold me handle me he's a Jesus with skin he's a Jesus that we can touch as human beings we long for touch Children, we know that who are held more than children who are not have more security in their lives. They seem to adjust better in the days of their lives. And as human beings, we long for touch. But Jesus is a God who touches us. He touched the leper. He heals the leper. He touches blind Barnabas. He touches the individuals who are around him. There's a woman who has an issue of blood, and she reaches out, and she touches him. I declare to you a, a Jesus who is approachable, and he says, touch me. The reality of it is that you reach out by faith. And you touch him and you realize that he is there. And so there are times when my heart has been broken. But I'm glad for a God that touches my heart and heals it. I'm, there are times when I am isolated. But he touches my life and I know that I am never alone. There are times when I need encouragement. But he touches my life and I know that he is with me. And he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. And there are times when I need comfort, but the Holy Spirit is there to touch me. There are times we go in the hospital, and there is an individual, and they just need someone to hold their hand and be with them through the process. I want to tell you today that I believe not just in a historical Jesus, but a Jesus that I know is there. He has touched me in my darkest day. He has touched me when no one else was around me. He has ministered to me when no one else could give me an answer. I'm talking about a God who is there at 3 a.m. and he touches you and he heals you. How can you explain the difference in a life, a life that has not been touched? touched by God and a life that has been touched by God. There are people all around in this room today who would declare that God delivered me. I was touched by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about something in a book today. I'm talking about a Jesus who's alive, who's walking through every aisle today, who lives forever. He's walking among the candlesticks. And when you feel like nobody else is there, your Jesus is there. I declare to you a living Jesus, a Jesus who has defied all of the odds, a Jesus who broke through the sphere of the earth and came to set us free. He is alive, not just because 
because of history and archaeology and because of literature. He is alive because I am living proof and I will never be the same because of a Jesus who touched me. Aren't you glad about that today? Hallelujah. One more thing. The Bible says that when all of the disciples were there, he opened their minds. I have had this happen to me. When I came to Jesus as a young boy, and especially in my teenage years, there was something that happened. Yes, I knew that Jesus was real. But just as he did with the disciples, the Bible says he opened their minds. And the word is noose, and he opened their understanding. And I no longer think like I used to think. Do you understand what I'm talking about today? There is a difference between those who follow after Jesus Christ, and they have a difference in their understanding, they have a difference in their spirit, and the Word of God is not just words, but it comes alive. It is fuel for the soul. And there are times when I feel like I just cannot stand. But the Word says, having done all to stand, stand therefore and put on the armor of God. And it begins to energize my spirit man. It speaks to my soul. It is like food for my inner man. And I have strength. And I'm able to overcome the word gives us aha moments and it speaks to us and it speaks to us regarding wisdom and the places where we need to go there have been times in my life that the Holy Spirit has confirmed the word and individuals have called me when I did not know what to do and I called them and they said this is the thing that you ought to do and I listened to that advice and realized that it was a word of wisdom from the Lord I followed after that it followed what God's Word says and I came through it would not have happened in natural understanding and in natural thinking it is because the Holy Spirit begins to open our minds the Word is alive when I teach or preach and when the gospel is proclaimed tell me why people want to give their lives to Jesus tell me why people are touched and they begin to weep tell me why people say I've got to get closer to Jesus it is not because of an individual it is because of the power of the Word of God God opening our minds he opens eyes today the Bible says that the person without the Spirit can't accept spiritual things but Jesus touches us and the carnal man is changed and he becomes a spirit man and he begins to see beyond and you begin begin to see that Jesus is one who has skin on. I declare to you today that I am not by myself. I declare to you today that I am not alone. I'm thankful for that old song we used to sing as a boy. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. I'm thankful for an omnipresent God. This is not some fairy tale. This is not something that is dreamed up. This is not something that's in literature. There are some of you, it has taken you 
through a cancer diagnosis. It has taken you through the death of a family member. It has taken you through the loss of a child. It has kept you sane. It has kept you well. It has kept you holy. It has kept you strong. It has kept you so that you can rise above and you can have faith and courage. This is not something for the weak of heart. This is something that gives us courage. This is something that gives us strength. This is what God has given to us so that we can overcome today. This is the word of God. I believe it. And it says that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ has been raised from the dead, you shall be saved. Thank you for listening to the Glad Tidings Church podcast. For more sermons, please search for Glad Tidings Church on Podbean and iTunes. For more information regarding our church, Sunday morning services, and other groups and gatherings, please visit our website at gladtc.com.